Dr. Lawrence Peter is famous for proposing that in a hierarchy every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. In other words, when you do a great job, you get promoted and that process repeats itself until finally you end up in a job you can't handle. I'd like to paraphrase the Peter principle. I think what actually happens is that in every organization everyone raises to the level at which they become paralyzed with fear the essence of leadership is being aware of your fear and seeing it in the people you wish to lead no it won't go away but awareness is the key to making progress all right guys uh welcome to the strategy podcast i'm super excited today because i'm speaking with mr tom nolt uh tom is a seasoned entrepreneur he has decades of experience building and scaling companies and it's going to be really an amazing experience to uh, for all of us to understand from him what it takes to build and scale a company so welcome tom and thank you so much for joining me on the strategy podcast thank you for having me yeah uh tom the first question that i want to know from you is you know how did it all began for you how did this how did the entrepreneurial bug bit you i think that uh the entrepreneur gene i think i would call it was with me probably from the time i was a kid i didn't think of entrepreneurship as career i thought of it as solving problems so from a very early age i was thinking about solving a problem in that if somebody wanted something and i got it to them could i make money doing it could i survive doing it so even as a kid i was thinking about like that and it became very resourceful at that so i always knew i was going to be an entrepreneur it was never a career choice of well do i want to be an attorney or an accountant it was always right there for me but i didn't know what format it would take i had no idea what interest industry i'd be in but it was always a part of my character that's interesting so i mean are you trying to say um that for you to be successful as an entrepreneur it's a gene that it's something within you or could you work to acquire specific skill sets that could help you become an entrepreneur i think anybody can be an entrepreneur I think that it requires a great deal of common sense and ability to see and solve problems and you kind of go from there. I I never I, you know I meet a lot of people who would like to be an entrepreneur but they're afraid to take that leap. They're in a secure job, they like the situation that they're in now and they don't want to leave that comfort. There's tremendous uncertainty in being an entrepreneur. So part of being an entrepreneur I think is that you have a few characteristics one is that you're a pathological optimist you believe that anything can happen that's and it's a necessary ingredient because you can't see opportunity unless you can believe that that opportunity can exist right so you you need to have that ability to kind of see a bigger picture of where you can potentially go I think anybody can get there I think just for me it was always there and and so i i liked the idea of problem solving and my entire approach to my entrepreneurial journey was purely that 
it was never, how can I make a dollar? It was, how can I solve the problem? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And uh, another thing that I'm thinking about as you discuss this is, uh, um, you know, figuring out problems in your life. I see a lot of people jumping into trying to become an entrepreneur because they want, they think being doing a startup is cool. So getting into it after a couple of months, they realize just how hard it is. And uh, also a lot of people, they're so rigid in their minds about what they're doing. They don't want to budge from it, which again is a big challenge because now um, you're no longer listening to your customers or the person to whose problem you're trying to solve. So how do you, did you deal with these things early up in your life as an entrepreneur? Yes. So, so there, there it's, it's somewhat of a mindset. So I'll explain it this way. When you're learning to ride a bicycle, one of the things that you learn is to turn your head in the direction in which you intend to go. You lead with your head, the bicycle follows. Same thing if you ever watch motorcycles racing around a track, their head is always leading the turn. Same with people who are speed skating, same with just about anything. Their head leads what they are doing. And in entrepreneurship, you tend to hit what you look at. So if you think you're going to be a failure, you're likely to prove yourself right. And so you can't have that, you have to have a mindset that you can solve these problems, that you can get through whatever obstacles you're dealing with. Now, sometimes people are pursuing a bad idea in the first place. And yeah, you're going to fail then. And so part of the process is learning where opportunity exists having your feet on the ground enough to be able to evaluate the opportunity realistically. The easiest person in the world to fool is ourselves. And so you don't want to do that because I see a lot of people who, who give me their business plan and want an opinion and it's a bad idea. And so I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking one, it's a bad idea. And I'm also thinking, why haven't they spotted that it's a bad idea? because they should be able to see that it's a bad idea. So I think part of it is where they're looking. So I think that that's a component to it. I hope that that answered the question. It does. And uh, which brings me to my next question, which is um, a lot of people try to find some kind of a structure when they want to do things. Mm -hmm. It has to be organized for them. Uh, that has been a case has, was the case for me because I come from a management consulting background where everything is structured, right? From the point of uh, figuring out the problem statement that my customer has to then doing the research and talking to specific people who can help us, you know, find the answers and then preparing a very nice just PowerPoint presentation, which, you know, denotes in bullet points what the solution is, but, you know, cut, to becoming an entrepreneur. And I realized suddenly all those PowerPoint presentations and those beautiful uh, business plans really don't mean much mm -hmm. on the ground when it comes to doing action. You, uh, the skill sets that you need as an entrepreneur are very different. And uh, if you don't have those skill sets, a lot of people say you should try and find mentors to do it for you. But many don't have that luxury as well. You, we don't have somebody who can guide you always. 
in those instances for somebody who is young who does not have that support system around him um how do you think what what is the ideal pathway for him to move ahead and explore the idea and uh, you know figure well, it out you, you're talking about a couple of things so one you're talking about structure and then you're also talking about roadmap to to building their their success and so you can find businesses that you can pursue that are structured for instance a franchise is a very structured business and you can you can do the due diligence on them and see what it's going to take to make a franchise successful so for some people that business model works extremely well for them and that's where they've built their fortune is around franchise models that they just subscribe to they do and and they're ones that work they've done the due diligence on it to know which ones are a good franchise to pursue and which ones are not and then there is the whole problem of of building a roadmap organizing it <clears throat> and creating structure and what i've found is that in all the business plans i've ever written i've never followed one never and what has worked so when i was a younger entrepreneur i tended to think in terms of doing very big things right out of the box so everything had to be big because i wanted to be there and be successful and and just hit it and right out of the gate well what happens is that as you start to have some failures and some things go wrong you start to scale that back and older entrepreneurs tend to think more about small experiments so they write their business plan around small provable ideas that are components to their eventual success so for instance testing a piece of software to see if it has uptake or a piece of hardware whatever the product is or a food recipe or something and doing these little experiments over time and then combining them become the venture for instance quora i like answering questions on quora it was just fun but now with 60,000 followers on the tom on entrepreneurship page i don't know what to do with it but that was an experiment so i'll figure it out uh, time will tell and i'll keep shaping it and adjusting and trying different things but it's it's kind of a fun journey it's not a big risk yeah. it's just something to do and and i enjoy it so for those who kind of worry about structure don't worry about it so much do the small experiment and let the small experiment lead to the next thing and i think doing building your business that way i think can lead to huge success um tom simon sinek says you should start with why define the why for yourself which is essentially going to be influencing the why for your entity or organization which basically is the guiding light towards where you want to be um when you break down a problem into multiple smaller things that you feel allows you to move from point a to point b sometimes in in that process you kind of forget the why so how do you uh, make sure uh, you know building an initial company as a startup that why is always clear in your head and you're you're making sure as you move from point a to b to c uh, you're always you know moving towards that hill that uh, that flag on the hill mhm mm i think for me 
the why is driven in large part by the satisfaction of having solved a problem. I've loved to solve problems since I was a kid. I was the one who would be listening to somebody else's issue. And then no matter what it was, I just wanted to solve it. It gave me a sense of value to do it. My entrepreneurial journey has been largely that. The reason I'm on Quora is to help people uh, find solutions to problems they have. Yeah. The reason I was doing turnarounds was because that was a problem. The company needed to be fixed. The reason I did a startup was because somebody had an idea for doing something better. And so every single one of these has a root in my love and the satisfaction that comes from solving a problem. And that drives everything I do. I think less about the dollars that I'm going to make and more about how this will uh, be a solution to a bigger issue. When we were doing Bluetooth, we were looking at what the technology could do and what it would mean. And that meant the world to me to pursue it on that basis. And so when we had licensed the software, you know, Bluetooth was a hard sell and we were one of the few early companies that were selling a protocol stack to be licensed. And so we had to think about how this could be used. And we thought of it from the solution point of view, rather than us saying, oh, we're gonna create software and go out and try and sell it. We hmm. went, how will the software be used? What problems can we solve with it? And everything was driven from that direction. So. And that, that set the roadmap. But how do you go about uh, discovering problems around you? Well, I see a lot of people jumping into becoming an entrepreneur without thinking about a problem first, which I think so is not the, not, a, not the best way to do it unless you have a problem to solve. What are you trying to create entrepreneurship around? Yeah, so it, that's, that's a good question. And people come to me all the time and say, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't even know where to start. I don't have a good idea to pursue. And yeah. my response to that is always get out and talk to more people. You just have to talk to more people. Every single venture I've ever pursued, the idea came from somebody else who said, this is a problem and somebody needs to solve it. Never once did I go out and say, this is the problem. Somebody else came to me and said, there's this big problem. And then they proved it to me and said, asked me to solve it. And I said, okay, you've convinced me this problem exists and therefore let's, let's solve it. And so, so you get out there and talk to people. And if you're still coming up empty, it means you haven't talked to enough people. You haven't talked to the right people, but that's how you find uh, problems to solve. Hmm. Um. Tom, I see you doing so many things at the same time, like so many different ventures. You're trying to manage this group uh, on Quora. And I was, as I was reading about it on your blog, uh, it's not too, too a long time since you've started doing it. It's been, what, a couple of months. And it's now grown to uh, over 50,000 people are following it now. And, and then you, you run a car club where uh, which is a weekly display of exotic cars that's i i guess cars are your passion um and then you run this consulting firm right so 
how do you manage so many things at the same time when you know well, people are struggling to do a, one <laughs> so i i don't have a lot of free time but i because i uh, so basically I'm, i guess the question is how do you prioritize time when you know uh, there are so many distractions around you i keep a calendar and i put stuff on my calendar i also use teamwork and so the, it's a software application it's a it's a project planning tool and i'm i'm a heavy user of teamwork and so that's where i organize projects so every project that that i'm involved in so i have board seats i have e at rtc the car event um i have uh, middle rock and all of the clients that we deal with within middle rock uh quora um then managing all of these pages and so i have two people i work with plus my personal assistant so my personal assistant takes care of everything non work related so the more i can devote my time to to my work the the better off i am now i like things you know that that are downtime like walking my dog and you know stuff like i have two dogs but one's really old so when i walk i i get out and do that but it's it's just it's it using a project management tool so i have basic habits so every morning when i get up i'm organizing my day so i'm looking at my calendar what i need to prepare for and i'm setting alarms i have alexa throughout the house so i say alexa set an alarm for this set an alarm for this set an alarm for this as kind of reminders of the milestones yeah alexa's not going so i'm setting the milestones throughout my day so uh having those milestones um it's still going on that's, uh those that's milestones you know they help me get through what my priorities are now it doesn't mean i have to have a meeting it just is a reminder that hey i have to have xyz done and out the door so that's how i use it um a question that comes from my own experience as i was so uh, trying to build my last startup there are a lot of things that i need to do which are uh, not some things which are exciting for me it doesn't motivate me it's not something that yeah. i'm not passionate about which is basically basically the rigmarole around you know the daily tasks the grind mm -hmm. yeah when that grind is actually happening when you're in the middle of it it's extremely frustrating at times especially when you're not getting results you know on other side of things um how do you kind of manage those things you know when it, when it is happening through you how do you um, go through how do you go through that grind with breeze i don't know if it's ever with breeze there's tasks that i have that i still have to do and i just get them out of the way i procrastinate sometimes like anybody else i'll kick it to a different date if i can get away with it and you know when i think i might be in a better mood to tackle whatever that is it's i'm human there there are things that i just don't enjoy as much as others and um some of it i can hand off to somebody else who likes to do it that that helps if you have somebody else around but it you know entrepreneurship is is good days and bad days it's a mix there is no straight line to success it, i've never had it there are some horrible days and in the horrible day you think oh my god why did i ever do this and then you'll you'll have another day that's just so amazing that you go this is the best thing i've ever done in my life so you never know um 
Tom, I uh, again, I, I I think a lot of people when they start a company, uh, they say you should start thinking about building a team from scratch. And uh, the first people that they reach out to are, uh, are usually their friends early on. Um, disagreements happen when you're working together and you have to find a way to you know move around them but then i i see when it when relationships are very personal sometimes you hold back something yes. that you would have otherwise said straight up to a stranger who's working for you maybe with you even as a partner but if you have that emotional relationship which is beyond the job that you're doing together building the company i i guess that kind of comes in the way of being a straight communicator so do you think it a is it a good idea to work with friends in building a company and do if they do how do they set the ground rules to communicate and make sure they're being honest to each other yeah first of all i don't uh, i don't uh, advise ever being friends with you know starting out with friends to build a business i think it's it's a bad way to start we all want to do it because we like being around our friends and we have fun with our friends. And so we're thinking, oh, it would be so fun to work with them every day. Well, that quickly changes. I, I do believe though, in working with people who are work partners first and friends second. What I mean by that is two of the people I work with now, Nikki, I've worked with in three companies. And so she tends to work with me wherever I end up because we started working together. She was uh, somebody who was very young when we, we started um, and she was at Summit Imaging and she was um, still new to sort of senior leadership type roles. And uh, um, we just worked fabulously together. So we just, we just have fun. But I have had friends who I've been, who I started companies with and it never goes well, and, and I regret it. I think that the friendship almost never stays intact. It, um, and the disagreements are not monumental. It's just that it's little things like work habits differences or skill set differences, and that's the big one. When, you, when you're friends with somebody and their skill set doesn't match what you need, how do you tell your friend that they're not the right fit for the company? And then you end up dragging them along and then there's resentment. And I had a friend who I was, who I started a venture with once. And uh, very quickly I discovered he didn't have the skill set necessary. I was pretty young at the time. And it was hard because I took him a long way, but it was always, he never quite got his feet under him. He was never, he was never good at his job but I was trying to preserve the friendship too much and eventually that fell apart. But I just would never recommend starting a business with friends. Okay, that's great. Um, tell me Tom, let's move on to customers. Um, for an early stage company, I think, uh, um, and I was listening to, uh, I was watching one of these episodes of Shark Tank mm -hmm. and uh, Mark Cuban says sales cures all, right? Uh, yet I see a, a lot of startup founders being very uncomfortable from selling because either they don't have that background, you know, uh, they have a very strong technical background. So they're, they're very comfortable behind the screen, writing the code, but very uncomfortable going out there and 
actually selling. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I see a lot of these big companies, you know, companies like Netflix, Spotify, and others, when they launch their products, they're offering a lot of stuff for free. So what, what's, what's your thought process on A, uh, you know, getting, hitting, you know, hitting the ground hard when it comes to sales? And what's with this freemium strategy? Do you agree? Do you think we should give out, give out, give out stuff for free for people to make up their mind? And can startups afford to do it? Yes, if you can afford to do it, I like the freemium model. I think it, it's, it's good. It's how I built my consulting practice. I would say to entrepreneurs, look, I'll help you out. I'm not going to charge you from day one. Let's figure out that we like working together. And then if it works out and you like the guidance I give you, then pay me for it. But And that's been very, very good because it, it gives people an opportunity to figure out what it's like to to work with me and whether or not the guidance shows any sort of results. So that's, that's a part of it. Most of the businesses that I've done have been uh, in the B2B category rather than the B2C category. The sales part of it is always a challenge. When you believe in what you're doing, it's much easier to sell your product. The trick is how to get in there and how to convince somebody that you have what it takes and what they need. This goes back to having, um, I think one of the great skills of being a a CEO is to have a sense of empathy for your customer, your employees, and just everybody you work with, your shareholders and so forth. Um, That empathy helps a lot when you're winning over a customer. I was in a company once where the um, the CEO and I was advising him and the CEO, I would go out on a sales call with him just to see how he did and he would never stop selling. And it was to the point where he was having the inverse in, of the intended effect. So it's when you want to be sold something, you want to be sold something to a point. And then when you're oversold something, it has a negative effect and it starts to go the other way. Then the only thing that the potential buyer is thinking is how do I get them out of my office? (laughs) You know, so you have to know when to stop selling and when to start selling. And this empathy piece is very important because this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with solutions. I tend to go to a customer and ask a lot of questions. I don't just go in and say, this is what I'm doing. I go in and I want to know if what I have is of any use to them. So when we were selling Bluetooth software, we would go to the customer and we would say, what do you want the software to do? What are you thinking? What would you like? Where are you going? All of those things. And they would share with us what it was they want. And we'd say, okay, this is what our solution can do. This is how it works. This is what it'll give you. These are the, this is the format in which it operates. And we would, we would kind of cover a wide range. Same with um, I, when I left uh, OAC in, in uh, January, we, um, we did the same thing with clients. We would try and find greater value add that we could talk to our clients about. And it was always about drawing out what they want first and then uh, hitting with that. So that That's interesting. It's, it's about uh, empathy, but how do you build empathy if, if you're not naturally empathetic to people? <laughs> too self-obsessed, which I see a lot of people are, you know, how do you, you know, break away from you and really step into your shoes, not just intellectually, but I'm really, really empathetic about you. 
you know what you're feeling i can feel it yeah. and i understand your pain to the point that i am now great you know seriously thinking about doing something about it yeah i think that that comes i'm trying to think of where that starts i think part of it is parenting i think that that my parents instilled a sense of empathy by having me work shoulder to shoulder with those in hardship i think volunteering helps you especially helping people who are in need in some form helps you develop a sense of empathy to see the world through their eyes and i think it's a it's a part of our our character and it's a good quality to have to be helpful to others you know it it's hard to be successful in a business for very long if all you're doing is preying on other people for instance you'll see scam artists they eventually get caught they're eventually thrown in jail their their um their integrity is gone they're 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 done but the people who i heard somebody very recently say that all of the opportunities in their life came from them helping other people and for me the opportunities in life came from other people too them wanting for a variety of things they would for instance get their reputation enhanced by working with me or by buying my product or whatever the case might be but that empathy piece is i think it's something that you you have to practice i you know i'll meet people who i don't think have any empathy at all so i i and i don't know if they're ever going to get it because there is there are ceos who are leading teams and their teams hate them yeah i i was part of uh, this large consulting firm we're doing about uh, 100 million dollars in revenue every year and i can say for sure and maybe more uh, nobody none of the consultants like work, liked working for him because he was such uh, you know a figure who would always ask you to be in the in the office all the time that's for that's what his expectation was of you and and i think that's very unrealistic because you need to understand you know what that sweet spot is for you and your yeah. team maybe their priorities are yeah. different you need to find think a way to that. bring them together yeah think about that for a second so he is developing a reputation for not being liked by the people underneath him now talent won't stay there right talent leaves uh, we had so, a 40% attrition rate yeah because in essence the people vote and with their feet they can go get another job doing it somewhere else and so it 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 sets a tone of mediocrity within the company to have somebody like that great leaders have the ability to attract wonderful people to their team who can produce amazing things they don't even have to ask for it they just want to help them out so so this is where the character piece comes in but part of our part of our growth as humans when we're kids keep in mind we want the cereal box we want the cereal from the cereal box we don't care what mom and dad had to go through to to get it they just we just want that filled we we start out narcissistic we start out self-absorbed and our kid and our parents then tell us to do things you go set the table you go to the store and pick up things you go and help a relative and all of these things 
that we have to do for other people build our sense of empathy as children. We start to get the values of, oh, this is why this person is struggling, or this is why this person, and we, we develop that. I think spoiled children rarely become empathetic. They just continue to make those same demands <laughs> as adults. And uh, I think self-awareness is a piece of it, but if you're never self-aware, how do you even become self-aware, right? So <laughs> I, I, I can't answer that. That's, that's something somebody, psychologist would have to tell me how that works. But all of those things, part of it is parenting that occurs at a young age. So um, I, I want to move to another piece, which I think a lot of startup founders struggle with, which is when you go out there um, you know, and pursue investors, because a lot of people are doing it very early into the model of their business. So there is this question of how long do you bootstrap or do you bootstrap at all? And you know, what's the benefit of you know, going to bootstrap your company versus actually uh, pursuing investors and, and, and raising that capital, which, which you think will give you that cushion to build your business. So what's your thought process on it based on your experience? Okay, well, there, there's two pieces to that answer. One is the monetary side and holding on to equity by not giving up very much of your company early on. The more you can do that, the better you are financially in the long haul. You're more likely to see a better exit. So that's an important piece of it. The other piece of it is when will the investors give you the, the terms that you want? And <clears throat> so much of that early process is building character points that matter to the investor. So, and uh, comfort points, uh, it would be another way of saying it. So for instance, um, they're showing, they're showing um, progress. They look like they're a well-managed team. They look like they're meeting their milestones. They, the investors have high comfort with that, that the things that you say you're gonna do, <clears throat> you're gonna do. You see this all the time with founders who have had other successful exits. Venture capitalists just throw money at them. You know, they they don't even have to have anything more than a you know uh, than a basic yeah executive summary, and they're throwing money because there's a high comfort that they're going to come through. They've always been honest about what they do. They they meet their deadlines. They do great things. They think the idea through. But when you're young and you're trying to raise money for the first time and you're competing against a sea of other people who are also trying to raise money, you have to stand out in a way. And you have to um, be able to show your venture is going to have a decent return, but that the investors have a high level of comfort in you and your team that you're going to come through. They're not as likely to, to back the sole individual that walks in the door doesn't have a team. Why? Because if they quit, there's nothing. So they're, they're looking for risk reduction too. Right. So if you have a cohesive team, you're working well together, you're doing great things, that goes a long way. Um, I want to move to you know, the internal functioning of, of a startup. 
and the first thing that i dealt with was people how do you you know manage a first attract the right individuals into your team uh, and b um, you know manage so many uh, individuals if you're doing it for the first time you don't have any team management experience what is what is that one uh, you know skill that you need to imbibe or learn quickly if you have to be want to be successful at at managing people because thinking about about an idea is very different from and being an individual contributor and doing well in your previous jobs may not essentially turn you into a great manager so how do you because managing a team is all about it's all about you know having those skills to of management how do you go about that process so how i go about it is first of all there's a few things in there i'm a lazy manager meaning that i if i can avoid managing people and telling them what to do i'll do it cuz i i i look for people who i don't have to manage basically so it's a, it's it's who they are and i always I, hire I, that's above, a great answer i hire above where i am so or not where i am but where the job is so if i need somebody to come in and, and work for me and do a certain job i think could they do the job four levels up three levels up whatever the case might be i'm looking for headroom in the individual that i hired because i'm hoping that they can move up and take over something that i don't have to deal with i'm huge on delegating and this is in part how i can do so much stuff myself because it isn't me doing it all there are other people around me that are helping me out and it's all about delegating and then helping them move up So right now I'm encouraging Nikki to start doing her podcasting and her doing more to be up front and I'm encouraging her to get involved in another startup that could really use her help at a more senior level. So I I don't just think about what I'm offloading to people I think about where they're going to. Why does that matter? Because if you can all get on sort of a journey that helps each other management becomes easier overall for all of you and so it's like if like you picture you're all in a rowboat and you all have an oar and you know where you're going you don't have to sit there and work too hard at steering because everybody sees where they're going and they're all just adjusting their rowing accordingly to get to that destination and so it's uh it's, it's is, a, is this about a lot of open communication uh of 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 what the goals and vision of the startup is yeah yeah so i i'm very open in a company i don't like to keep a lot of secrets there's some things you have to keep you know hr stuff things like that i don't discuss that stuff because everybody's entitled to their privacy but i'm fairly open about how the company's doing what it is we're doing where we're going and some of the concerns we have so i if i'm worried about something i'll share it with the rest of the team they're looking to me to to be a leader and that means that i have to be fearless when they're afraid i have to be the one that's going to to stay up late and work harder than anybody in a situation that might be challenging for the company they have to see that from me and that's a part of being a great leader you know i i had a food kitchen once and i was concerned about 
uh, how the, the quality of, of cleanliness of the kitchen. And I said, look, I want this kitchen to be immaculate all the time. What should I do to instill that? And this very experienced entrepreneur said to me, he goes, it's really easy. He says, walk into the kitchen someday, look for some dirt, go grab a broom, sweep it up yourself. He says, you'll never have a dirty floor again, trust me. And he was right. <laughs> hey, they were mortified that I would see some dirt on a floor and be the one to sweep it up. And <laughs> that floor was always spotless after that. So you, you're setting that example. So it's leadership uh, by example, which really works. Yes. Yes. So when you do those things, you, you, in essence, show leadership to your fellow workers about the standards that you want to operate at. And they tend to follow along. And, you know, once in a while you get somebody who they don't care about anything and don't keep them in your company. You know, they're, they're going to just drag everybody down. Don't, you just don't um, keep them. So. Awesome. Um, a question which is kind of related to this is when you're picking people to work for you, especially if you're trying to find co-founders for your startup and you have, you don't have a background with them, how do you evaluate them? Uh, should you work on the project for some time before uh, formalizing titles or, or should you just trust your gut and, you know, go, go and bet on a, bet on a person? I, I like to bet on people, but I, I'm pretty good at interviewing. After this many years of doing it, I can kind of sense people. I'm not as enthralled with the resume. I'll, I'll say, I look at it as kind of a checklist. I'm not even looking for spelling errors and all of that kind of meaningless stuff. I look strictly at what their experience has been would they know how to solve these problems? And then I look for these little kind of little hints. Like if they have personal pursuits to improve themselves, that's a great sign, right? So if I see something on a resume, it could be something like a pilot's license or uh, they speak multiple languages that they've wanted to learn or just whatever the thing might be. Those little clues tell me something about their character, that they, they have curiosity. They have curiosity, that's a big plus for me. I like people with curiosity. And so I'm, I'm looking for those kinds of things. And then I'm trying to, and I'm, I hope I'm answering the question correctly in terms of what you want. That thorough interview, once it's done, then I tend to trust, but verify, right? So I trust them and let them do their thing and then check in. And then I do these little nudges, right? So if I see behaviors that I think get in their way, I sit down with them and I, I have this conversation as look, my job is to help you be more successful in your role. These are the things I think you should do that are going to be more successful. I don't say do this because I want them to understand the meaning behind why I say it. That if you do these things, this is going to help you immensely in your career. You know, not hard. So, and, and, you know, inevitably they buy off on it and, and it works. And so then they come back for more and they go, Oh my God, that was so useful. It helped me here, here and here. And great, good. You know, just keep going. There, there are a lot of people 
who are extremely contented with where they are there is that yes. sense of contentment do you think such people can be can can could be in the role of in any role in a startup especially in a, in a leadership role which which requires you know skills where they're they're always trying to learn new things which means you're out of your contentment zone or comfort zone i yeah i see two cultures in companies i see cultures of maintaining and cultures of change so cultures of maintaining would be something like for instance a hotel staff hmm. that hotel isn't going to change much they might be have days that are more full than other but that's still a hotel and it's not going to be anything but that hotel and that's their job and they might be there for 20 or 30 years that's the perfect person for that they're content doing whatever it is they're doing in the hotel same thing year in year out for a lot of years they might modernize then you're talking about the growth startup the the growth company now those individuals do not like everything to be the same every day in fact they would leave if it was yeah. so that's a whole different personality type and so you can't mix the two if you mix the two in a company you're going to have conflict you have to know who you're hiring and they have to be the kind of person that likes that type of change so i i tell people when i go into a company especially when it's in trouble i say look i i got some good news and some bad news one you know for them might might be going to be lots of change here that's the bad news i said but the good news is that it's temporary because we're going to keep changing all the time and so you might not like something but hang on you'll pass through it and we'll be doing something else that you'll like so you know it's not the end of the world to do something you don't like for a little while so and that's how i get them through it awesome and i want to you know close this interview asking about your views on on covid clearly it has a major economic impact but then uh, which is global how does you know an entrepreneur deal with this how are you dealing with it how am i dealing with covid so it's changed my business a bit so first of all it's a hard disease because it's one of the very few diseases that you can't see hard empirical evidence that it is what it is right so it it can it can look like flu so they call it covid like now a lot and so i'm always trying to get at the accuracy of the data to know what's realistic and what isn't and it's hard to say cuz it's so politicized but how it's impacted my business and how it's impacted others is that it has finally gotten people comfortable with things such as zoom meetings so this is finally something that people are using where they were reluctant to do it before and i've been a fan of zoom for a very long time because look at the quality is good you and i are talking to each other from complete opposite ends of the Thousands world of kilometers <laughs> yeah i know and it's like we're right next to each other so this is awesome right so the fact that we can do these kinds of things and interact i think are is a great way in which covid is bringing the world making the world smaller in some respects people are getting to spend more time working from home companies are figuring that out and people are learning how to be more self-reliant and less directed so the impacts on this i think 
in our society are, are still going to ripple through for a while, but I don't see it necessarily as a negative. I think it's just different. Well, then there are a lot of people who are losing their jobs. Do you think, yeah. uh, you know, they should look towards entrepreneurship as a way to navigate this? Because now there, you know, a lot of, a lot of them are dependent on the government and the paycheck that they're getting every month to sustain themselves, which is understood. Uh, a lot of them might have families, a lot of them might have commitments. When all of that goes off the table suddenly, how do you uh, adjust to this new normal? And for a lot oh. of companies, you know, companies like Uber, Airbnb, we've seen the number of layoffs that they have done in the last three months. Thousands, literally 6,700 people were taken off the job from Uber. And, and I see them raising $2 billion in senior debt because they want to buy some company. So is it because now those companies, they have no empathy, you know, to no, keep no. people so, on the roads for some more time navigating this, uh, yeah. this, this difficult period? Okay, so events happen that are completely out of the control of anybody else. To my knowledge, nobody wanted this to happen. It happened. And people are forced to change whether they like it or not. And people do lose their job in this. At the same time, the other thing that happens is opportunities are also created. The world shifts. And it shifts all the time. There, when the iPhone came out, it put millions of other handset manufacturers suppliers out of business that were supplying things for other handsets and millions of people who were working for these other companies directly and indirectly out of business in favor of this new device that also created millions of opportunities software application developers you name it were suddenly coming out of nowhere to develop software for the iphone so it was a massive shift from you know, the emphasis on other hardware suppliers to a huge emphasis on mobile software. So these shifts occur from time to time. Partially it occurs because of technology advancing or in the case of COVID, nobody could have predicted that. And there, and business has to kind of keep going no matter what. So it, you, you have to take opportunities. You have to pursue opportunities when they come up, even in a down market. And a company has to survive and people have to adapt to whatever the circumstances are. Look, my business changed. So it was, it's not like I'm not impacted too. I have to shift what I do. Normally my butt would be on an airplane and I would be flying to clients but now I have to do this from home, which I, I'm liking now. At first I thought, well, this is gonna harm me and it has harmed me. There are companies that are just stuck because they don't know what they wanna do next and so they don't wanna engage, uh, they don't wanna engage me yet to do the next thing because they don't know what the next thing is. So we're all impacted in some negative way, but out of this will come some positive too. And that's the important thing is to look for those positive things to pursue because uh, you know mass companies are now popping up out of nowhere, right? So there, there's one opportunity 
filtration, sanitization, um, the fact that, that people are looking for a sole transportation device. I have a friend, DVE store is, it was a client and the CEO is also a friend. They were having a very tough time prior to COVID. They sell all of the video equipment and stuff that all of these companies need for Zoom calls, Zoom rooms and broadcasting things in a group. They're busy, busier than they've ever been. They can barely keep stuff in stock. All of the suppliers of all of that stuff can't keep stuff in stock. So you have these switches and they, they occur. There's no way, the world just does its thing and don't be a victim to it. Never there be a victim. There is always a silver lining to every crisis. You just need to figure it out. You just need to figure it out, exactly right. And that's how society moves forward. And that's one way in which you can help everybody. Awesome. I just want to close this interview. I think we're running out of time, but I want to ask you know, one closing advice on uh, young people. You know, um, with so much experience on the belt, when do you think is a great time for you to jump into entrepreneurship? Is it, is it great to do it early in your life? You know, when there is uh, your capacity to take risk is a lot more. Um, because I see people getting tied down for, you know, artificial reasons, which are self-created, of course. Um, and, and then, you know, before you know it, you're so into the rut that you can't come out of it. So what's your yeah. take on it? So that was one of the advantages I had when I was right out of college and I bought my first business. I could live cheaply. I could live cheaper than anyone because I was used to living on you know, my, my uh, college budget. So I just continued to live on my college budget even though I owned my first business. So that, that was how I got my start. So it's easier to get your start when you don't have money. And uh, because you can do things that other people can't, you can do them cheaply that other people can't. And that's a great way to build a business. So I don't think that there is necessarily a bad time. Now, the downside is when you're young, you don't have the knowledge. So if you are young and you're starting a business and you're seeing traction, get older advisors around you. I think you'll, you'll be much further along than you would be otherwise. I made a lot of mistakes starting out young. So that was the downside of it. I didn't know anything about anything. So, but I knew, I, I loved the freedom of being an entrepreneur. You know, that, that was just fun being my own boss. So. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Tom. I think it was a great conversation. So many uh, things that you shared with us. It's amazing. It's amazing to see to the kind it. of life that you've lived. <laughs> happy to do it then. We can engage anytime, anytime you need anything, just give me a call. I'm happy to help out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Have a okay. great day. Bye. All right, you too. Have a good evening. <laughs> Bye.